Where is the most horrific, terrible place you've ever been? A place that may make your skin crawl. Just a terrible, sad place. For me, besides Yankee Stadium, uh, <laughs> is a place called Skid Row, right in the middle of Los Angeles. I was there leading a, a missions trip, a team, and we went, and I'll never forget just the, the, the sight of all the trash everywhere, the smell of stale urine, the sound of people having sex in the porta potties, people just strung out with drug overdose. And if anyone was sober enough to want help, we would bring them to a ministry place called the Dream Center. But in every conversation we were having, we were there to witness. We were there to show and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Everything focused to Jesus. So in our conversation, after we'd listen to a story, we would point them to Jesus and we would ask, who is Jesus to you? What do you know about Jesus? That was our desire. We wanted them to know who Jesus is because only Jesus could change their life. And so I ask you today, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? It is one of the greatest questions Jesus himself asked, who do you say that I am? It's a question that books and articles have been written about. Wars have been fought over who Jesus is. And many have come to discredit his identity. There's been slander, lies, and conspiracy theories. Jesus himself said, hey, don't let anyone deceive you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I am the, the Messiah. Don't be deceived. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. I'm so excited that you're here for a message that we're titling, Behold His Glory. It's also the name of the series that we're in. You see, even Jesus' own followers would question who Jesus was. Is he really the Messiah? Is he the one that the prophets foretold about? Because there was such an expectation of the Messiah that he would come and there would be great economic prosperity, that, that the Messiah would overthrow the Roman oppressors, that he would establish this earthly kingdom like David. And so when Jesus came and he set up a heavenly kingdom, it wasn't like what they expected. So there was a disconnect between their expectations and the reality. And so his own followers would question who Jesus was. The Pharisees certainly would question because Jesus would hint at his divinity. And to, for them, that was blasphemic. But even John the Baptist, there were moments that he asked if Jesus was really the Messiah. And so he's, he's at location in this, this, this context that Jesus is knowing his disciples are confused, struggling about who he is, Jesus in true rabbi fashion said, boys, let's go on a field trip. So they go on a hike. It lasted over a day to get to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi would have been a, a location near Caesarea. Uh, it was named Caesarea Philippi because after Herod the Great passed away, he handed over his kingdom. He split it up into three regions. And one of those was for his son, Philip. And Philip, the area that he chose to be called Caesarea, which was by the sea, there was a famous harbor. Not too far from there was Caesarea Philippi. It was the epicenter for a lot of pagan festivals and worship. 
It was the birthplace of the Old Testament worship of Baal. And Baal would have been worship because he was the God of agriculture. He would have brought the, the rain and the water. And so lightning was his tool and thunder was his voice. And, and it was at this location where this, where I've actually, Kyle and I have been there. You can see it from the, from a distance. It was this really tall, rocky um, edifice, this cliff. And, it, and we actually made it to the very top. We were so proud of ourselves when we made it. And, but what's the focal point of this area is a, a cave. There's this, literally this underwater uh, system where the, the water would come, come like a springs, and it would make, uh, and it would help start the headwaters for the Jordan River. And so it was there that they believed that Baal would go underground in sexual pursuit of a goddess. And so years later in the first century, that would influence the god of Pan. And so the Greeks would worship Pan, where, where even today we, we get our, our words, uh, panic and pandemic and pandemonia. It was like this, this, this God of, of disorder and he would cause confusion and fear. And so it was this place again, that would bring uh, rain, bring water. And, and, and so it was at this location, there would be temples to pan and there would be all kinds of bestiality and sexual perversion. It was terrible. It was, it was dark. And so our, this is the background. This is the context of our passage in Matthew 16, verse 13, because it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And the disciples must have been incredibly uncomfortable. Like if you're one of Jesus' disciples and you're brought to this location, like this is the darkest place that you would avoid. You would never go here. To go in this area, you would have been considered unclean. You wouldn't have wanted anybody to know that you were there or to be seen here. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us there was an actual pagan worship or, or, or a, the festival that was going on. I mean, this place was so bad that the Romans nicknamed this whole area the gates of hell. Literally, where the underground, the underworld would meet the outer world. Like, this was, this was how bad this place was. And so Jesus brings them there, and he asks, who do people say that I am? And if you were one of the disciples, you would, you would have not felt comfortable. Imagine being there at that place. So how did they respond? They said, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say that Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? How many of you know it's important to know what other people say about Jesus? But what's of supreme importance is who do you understand Jesus to be? So who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? And then it's, it's Simon Peter who speaks up. In a moment of faith and boldness, he said to him and answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He's saying, you didn't come to this conclusion on your own. You didn't come to the conclusion that I am the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, all by yourself. I didn't tell you about this on one of our, our campfire sessions. It was revealed to you by God, our father in heaven. 
And he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church upon this rock. Now, if you are of a, of a Catholic faith background, I know many of you are, then you have been taught that, that the interpretation of this verse would have been that upon Peter, that Jesus will build his church. Like Peter is the first father, the first papal, the first priest. Like he was the very first. And there was like, like he is a, he's a saint as a result of that. So that's one interpretation. For those of you who are of a Protestant faith tradition, perhaps you were taught that it wasn't upon Peter himself that Jesus would build his church, but rather his confession, that his statement that Christ, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And upon that confession, that is the foundation in which Jesus would build his church. But you have to read this story through a, a, a lens, see this scripture and this passage through a lens of context. So where are they at? They're in Caesarea Philippi. They're at the gates of hell. They're at the most pagan of worship. Like in the first century, they, again, we don't know if it was an ongoing pagan celebration at the time or they just would have been aware of it, but there would have been tremendous temples, one to Zeus, one to a Pan, one to, to goats. And it was just terrible, all these places. And in the background of this cave would have been this high edifice, this rock, this, you can't miss it in the background. It would have been the Petrus. And, and yes, Peter, his name was changed from Simon, meaning reed, small, diminutive, to rock. But it's upon this, this rock that Jesus says, in other words, he says, right here in this place, I will build my church. Not in the nice, safe places where there is light, but even in the worst places, I will build my church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even in the most horrible, darkest places, even where there's destruction and there's great sin, Jesus says, as my followers, my kingdom, we're not gonna run away from those places, but rather we're gonna go to those places and be light into darkness. And it's there that I will build my church. And so you may feel like in your own life, you feel dark, you're searching. Know that the Lord wants to build residence in your life. We have neighborhoods in our community that still don't have a small group. And I'm praying that every neighborhood, every, every place in our community of, of where we start churches will have small group after small group. And this is why we're starting churches because we wanna to go to dark places, wherever God would lead us, wherever he would open up doors, that we would be unafraid to go here and there, where, wherever we can establish make disciples and lift up the name of Jesus, we will go. Why? Because Jesus called us to go and make disciples. He called us to be light where there is darkness. He said, I am the light of the world and you are the light. And we are to go to these dark places. That's what God asks of us. Verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Notice the empowerment here. He says, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell, they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. 
Everyone, Peter heard this. You can imagine what he would have thought. Like, this is, this is it. I mean, he, he went from one of his finest moments, his declaration, his confession that Jesus is the Christ. And, and he was commended for that. And now Jesus hints that, that his establishing a kingdom would come through his death and his resurrection. And this is not to what Peter expected. And so Peter says he... He said, and he actually rebuked him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus, he turns to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he goes from, Peter goes from his finest moment to his worst moment, right? He says, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Perhaps this moment of Peter, it brings back, a temptation that's similar to what the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness before he started his ministry. And Jesus says, get behind me. He calls him Satan, maybe alluding to that moment. But he says, get behind me. He's like, I'm rabbi, I'm the Messiah. You're a follower, get behind me. You're not calling the shots. And then he says in verse 24 to his disciples and maybe to those standing around, he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying, if you wanna find me, if you wanna follow after me, then you have to be willing to decrease to give up your rights, to deny yourself, to take up the cross. Jesus' invitation is whoever will, whoever will come after me, make him deny himself. You see the great problem that we see, we, we make up excuses for following Jesus. If, if, if the conditions can be right or, or we get distracted by so many different things in this world, don't we? But often the biggest problem is not other people, it's not other things, it's not, it's not the trials. It's ourselves. We get in the way. We increase to a high level. And the reality is that we must decrease and let him increase. Great problem today is that our view of God is, is far too small. Jesus becomes just more historical in nature instead of being divine and alive. And our view of him is far too small. So who do you say that Jesus is? What are your thoughts about Jesus? A.W. Tozer says your thoughts about God are your most, the most important things about you because out, out of the overflow of your thoughts will influence your words, your actions, where you give your time and attention to, your theology, your worldview, even your own identity. This is why it's so important to have such a high view of Jesus because in his identity, you will find your identity. If you believe that Jesus really is the head, you know that you are the body. If he's the good shepherd, you're a sheep of his pasture. If he's, if he's the father, that means you're the son, the daughter. If he's the king, you're a servant, right? So important to understand who Jesus is. And this is why my desire is that we would fall so in love with Jesus, that we would be consumed by Jesus, that when we search our scriptures, that we'd be searching for Jesus and the Holy Spirit would reveal him to us as we abide, as we dwell in him, that Jesus would be high and lifted up in our hearts and our lives and our homes and our marriages and our church and our community. But we must know who Jesus is. We must know who Jesus is.
Jesus is in 1 John 2, verse 1. It says, Jesus is our advocate. In Daniel 7, 22, he is the ancient of days. In Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is the author and finisher of the faith. In Revelation 3, he is the beginning of the creation of God. John 1:14, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. Revelation, he's the beginning and the end. First Peter, he is the shepherd. John, he's the bread of life. Matthew, he is the bridegroom. Revelation, he's the bright and morning star. He is the brightness of the Father's glory. He is the brother. Jesus is the captain. He is the chosen. He is the Christ. He is the consolation of Israel. Ephesians 2 says Jesus is the cornerstone. Isaiah says he's the counselor. He's the day star. He's the deliverer. He's the desire of all nations. He is the door of the sheep. Matthew 1 verse 23 says Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. He is the friend. Jesus is eternal life. He's the everlasting father. He is the express image of the father. He is the faithful witness, the first fruits from the dead. He is the fountain, the governor. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the high priest. He's the holy one of God, the heir of all things, the judge, the king, the light of the world, the life, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the master, the mediator, the Messiah. He's the Passover, the potentate, the prince of life, the prince of peace the prophet, the propitiation, the power of God, the great physician, the ransom, the refiner and purifier, the sacrifice, salvation, son of God, son of man, son of righteousness, teacher, testator, truth. He's the wedding garment, the wisdom of God. He is wonderful in a culture, in a world that says that Jesus is just a way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, will somebody in the house say he is? If you believe that Jesus is the bread of life, say he is. If you believe that he is the good shepherd, say he is. If you believe that Jesus is the life and the resurrection, say he is. If you believe he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, say he is. If you believe he is your master, say he is. The Bible says every tongue will bow, or every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We will do it in heaven. We better be ready to do it here on earth. If you believe that Jesus is your savior, say he is. If he is the forgiver of your sins, say he is. If he is a healer of all your diseases, say he is. If you believe Jesus will deliver you from any stronghold, say he is. Would you close your eyes and lift up your hands in just your own way? Would you confess Jesus as your Messiah, the son of the living God? Jesus, we honor you. We lift up your name in this house, in this church. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah. We believe that you are our master and our king. You are our father. We honor you. We worship you. We love you. You're welcome here.